Friends, colleagues, and social perspective takers, welcome back to another episode of Brain Buzz. We're your hosts. I'm Kyle. And I'm Drake. And today we are delighted to introduce to you a friend of the show, guest of the show, Kathy Bailey. Kathy, welcome. Thank you. So, uh, Kathy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, we were chatting just before we got recording here, uh, where you're at, what you're doing. So why don't you let us know where that is? Well, I'm a PhD candidate in developmental psychology. It's, um, I'm in a collaborative program between Queen's University and Trent University, which kind of means that I have advisors and access to resources at two very different institutions. Um, so at, at those universities, I conduct research that looks at social perspective taking during social problem solving um, and language. And I'm particularly interested in those processes in children with epilepsy. So you say pers- perspective taking. Uh, what do you mean by perspective taking and what age groups specifically are you looking at in, the, in your research? So by perspective taking, I mean the ability to understand that other people have thoughts and feelings that might be different from our own. So. With that, I, I look at usually between the ages of 6 and 12, so middle childhood age. Um, perspective taking, though, does start in the earlier years. That begins with the ability just to understand, hey, somebody else might have different knowledge than me about the world or have a different idea about the world than I do. Um, and that gradually um, develops into understanding that I also have thoughts about what Drake is thinking about what I'm thinking um, and how that might impact the way that we're going to interact or impact Drake's behavior um, or influence our relationship going forward. Absolutely. That's great. That's a really good explanation of perspective taking. And so, and one other thing, so I, I just want to correct my, I'm not sure exactly what the wording you used was. You said social situations, social, social problems or something. What was the, uh, pers- what was the environment that you were looking at specifically? So I like to look at social problem solving. So a context mm-hmm. where there's an, a problem between two children. So for example, uh, two children want to play with the same toy. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's a social situation, a social problem where the, one child has to decide, okay, how, how am I going to get this toy from, the other, <laughs> from this yeah. other kid, right? And <laughs> yeah. What are the steps I need to take to get this toy <laughs> from this kid? <laughs> I like that. And so, I mean, obviously the social problems that are social problem solving that uh, an individual is experiencing or, you know, that they're a part of, those situations are going to vary drastically depending on what age group they are and what demographic they are, right? That's right. So, you know, in their early years, we're looking at problems of, you know, I want to play with that toy, but my brother is playing with the toy, right? How Mm -hmm. am I going to get that? Um, During childhood, it may be about um, navigating schoolwork, right? Mm -hmm. That where one of actually one of the scenarios I would use in my research talks about um, a child who has to work on a school project with a friend partner who doesn't want to start that project yet, right? Mm -hmm. So there's uh, conflict in their their needs in the way that they're looking at this project. Absolutely. So, why in children with epilepsy? Well, like what makes that a unique population? It is a unique population. There's about one um, percent of children, in, or one percent of the population, sorry, across um, the world, actually have epilepsy. In Canada, there are 15,000 new cases. And of those 15,000 cases, about, I think it's 30% are children and adolescents each year that are diagnosed with epilepsy. 
So, and when we look at the literature um, that examines psychosocial aspects of childhood epilepsy, we see that there's an increased risk for um, problems with their peers, um, more problems with internalizing and externalizing disorders. So things like um, depression, ADHD, they actually have three to six times higher rate of disorders, psychopathology, um, than your typically developing child. So then my interest is, well, why? There might be, you know, why are they having problems with their peers? Why, why do parents and teachers rate them as having low social competence? And so I'm, my thinking is that social perspective taking might be an explanation for some of this. I don't actually know. Did we touch on this at the start? Like, what is epilepsy? Okay, so epilepsy is um, a, a disorder where individuals have, the individual will have um, seizures. It's a neurological disorder. Um, they'll have seizures that, you know, there, there's no, um, we don't know that it's, it's going to be spontaneous just can happen that an individual could have a seizure now, they could have a seizure five weeks from now kind of thing. Mm. Um, <clears throat> or they could have multiple seizures in a day um, or in an hour for that matter. Um, it's very, um, there's very diverse when we're talking about epilepsy. There are a lot of different um, causes. So different areas of the brain may be associated with the seizures. So it, Children might have frontal lobe epilepsy, right, where the seizures are occurring in the frontal lobe, temporal lobe epilepsy, where seizures are occurring in the temporal lobe. Um, some, sometimes there is um, a known cause for the seizures. Other times there's no known cause for the seizures. So it's very diverse. Um, age of onset, again, diverse, um, where an individual can have uh, begin having seizures at birth. Another individual may not have any seizures until they're 70. So, so Kathy, now that you've explained what social perspective taking is, and you know, you're talking specifically about children from six to 12 with epilepsy that are, are in situations where there's a social problem that needs to be solved. What are you doing in your research or how are you kind of, uh, what are you answering, I guess? What are the questions you're asking and what are you trying to answer? Well, one of the things that um, I'm looking at is language in particular and how that their language skill um, impacts their social perspective taking. Um, with children with epilepsy, there's, they're having recurrent and, and, or spontaneous seizures, right? So there's activity going on in the brain and that's going to impact um, their development. It's going to impact the development of things like language, which is shown to be important for social perspective taking. So one of the projects that I have going right now involves bringing children into the lab and looking at their language ability, just using standardized measures of language that we would normally use in a clinical setting to assess language ability and to determine whether or not a child has um, a language impairment. And then I also do a series of, you know, cognitive ability. So what is their nonverbal IQ like? Um, some measures that look at their ability to control their behavior and inhibit um, impulses and whatnot. Um, and then I include a social perspective taking measure. So what it is, is it's um, an interview where I give the child a hypothetical situation where two 
friends have been assigned to work on a project together and one wants to start working on the project right away and and the other wants to play softball first and so i go through a series of questions and ask them how would how would you how would you solve this problem what is the problem here um how would you truly know that the problem's been solved or it's um there's a series of questions so it you know it's somewhat standardized um and then I would prompt them for more information. And so what that does is it allows me to look at how they take on the perspectives, sorry, on. So what that does is it allows me to take on or to understand how they take on other people's perspectives and how they integrate it with their own to think about a problem and resolve a problem. The things that you're looking at whenever you're asking these these questions is you, you said nonverbal IQ and how they inhibit their behavior and their social perspective taking. What do you mean by nonverbal IQ? How is that assessed? Just a, a standard IQ test, a, um, a subtest of a standard IQ test to kind of get an idea to to ascertain that you know that it's not necessarily IQ that's impacting their ability to solve social problems because IQ has been shown to um, be associated with social perspective taking. Right, that's great. So it's, a, it's, a, it's what you use as a control to make yeah. sure that it's not the, the leading reason, right, that, that this is going on. That's interesting. And so I have a question before we get into the, the, the meat of your, of your research, uh, now that you set it up for us. Uh, with epilepsy, I mean, a lot of our viewers, and, and I myself included, might not know epilepsy, that know, know the impacts of epilepsy on children or adults. So I was wondering, what are the social, biological, or psychological impacts that epilepsy can have on an individual? So I think I may have mentioned um, that there are some psychopathology that is involved with epilepsy where children with epilepsy are are at greater risk for um, internalizing, externalizing disorders. Um, Mm. With that too, um, even if we take out that piece, children with epilepsy, um, they are scored by teachers as having lower social competence. So having difficulty with their peers, um, they're more likely to be aggressive during a problem. Um, they are, there's research that shows that their social competence may be, um, more like their younger siblings than their same aged peers. So they're just, they're lagging, um, almost with respect to social cognitive, um, processes and, and skill sets. Absolutely. And so this is, I mean more or less that's why uh, it's the driving factor i imagine for why you're so you're specifically looking at this population right because you want to see what's going on who's effectively uh managing with these social problems and solving these social problems better with epilepsy and seeing what the differences are i imagine right exactly so knowing that we can if we get a good idea of what's going on there is it the social perspective taking um is it their ability their um communication skill or language skill that's impacting the social perspective taking then we can look take that information what we learn from that to develop um interventions that can help these kids um one of the things that I, I don't know if you're aware of this. I know there's a lot of epilepsy that's not common knowledge. Um, but one of the things that the big issue that um, really informs research or drives research is finding um, medications or treatment options for the seizures themselves, right? right. So, so managing those seizures, whether it's surgery or whether it's um, a medication or a protocol of some sort or some specialized diet even so that's a 
that's really important research. Absolutely very important research. What's getting missed out there, though, is that these seizures have happened and these during development, and it's kind of thrown them off of their developmental trajectory, right? It's changed their developmental trajectory. So we may have treatment um, for the seizures, but those problems are already in place when it comes to the social perspective taking. So we need to really kind of remember that when, when we're looking at these kids. Yeah, I'm excited to see what's going on with these six to 12 year olds with epilepsy and, and how their social perspective taking differs from uh, you know, children six to 12 that don't have epilepsy. So what, what did you guys find? How did you guys, uh, what are the factors that are really playing a role? Do you, or do you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, so I, right now I just have a small group of children, but I have um, a preliminary report that I've put out there where we do see definitely differences in um, children with epilepsy and actually we compared them to not only a controlled group of typically developing children but also children with language problems so children who had difficulty with language um, how how their social perspective taking differed even from children with epilepsy to kind of see if it was um, about their their language ability or about them having epilepsy as a general kind of idea. And what we found was that children with epilepsy had language skill that was very similar to, or was, you know, similar to children with language problems. Both those groups had worse language, obviously, than typically developing kids. Um, But children with epilepsy had even more problems with social perspective taking than children with language impairments or problems with language. Hmm. So, what it tells us is that some of the problems that children with epilepsy um, have with social perspective taking may be attributed to um, the language problems themselves, but something else is going on there that's specific to epilepsy. So, yeah, yeah um, it's, it is very interesting mm. where we do see kind of the same patterns going on where um, children have difficulty, more difficulty identifying a problem than maybe coming up with strategies for a problem, which sounds very odd. Um, But we teach kids about strategies, right? We teach kids to share. We teach kids to walk away or whatever. Um, So with that, we see a very similar pattern with children with language impairments and children who are typically developing. But children with epilepsy seem to kind of have the same ability for different aspects of social problem solving. Um, across the social problem solving process and it's relatively flat um, profile and and lower um, perspective taking levels than the other two groups. Yeah, absolutely. Kathy, when you were giving the definition of uh, epilepsy earlier, you mentioned frontal lobe epilepsy and temporal lobe epilepsy. So one of my questions for you is, do you see differences in social perspective taking and language skills depending on the localization of epilepsy in children while they develop? I can't answer that question right now because (laughs) my sample is too small. Um, Yeah, my sample is too small. In order to be able to answer that question, I would need a much larger sample of children. Certainly. Yeah, Um, and it's definitely a question that I would like to answer going forward. You bring up a really good point. Um, So, and that's where actually with, I'm going to go back to just talking briefly about my meta-analysis. That's one of the things that I'm looking at with right now. I'm, I'm really focusing on the language part of it. I'm taking that piece out for the moment and how that might be different depending on, yeah, 
where are the seizures or what type of seizures. Um, another question that's really important going forward too is age of onset, right? Yeah. So how, mm. how does that impact development of social perspective taking? Especially when we know that language is so important for social perspective taking. Um, and we know that language at age three is a lot different than language at age 13, right? Yeah. Um, at, hmm. Yeah, so at age th three, we're, it's more about learning words, right? Um, and increasing vocabulary. Age 13, we're, we're looking at the development of figurative language, understanding figurative language, right? Um, <clears throat> so that's going to have a huge, that should have a huge impact on the development of language and and social perspective taking, depending on when the seizures start happening. I mean, you've talked about perspective taking and the social problem solving. I'm interested in what's going on, what the actual interactions look like. So, so what does it look like when, with your, you know, your average six to twelve year old uh, with epilepsy? What are they doing? Uh, you said that their language skills are impacting their perspective taking, but what's their perspective taking look like? Um, what what, is, what do they do whenever they're put in a situation where you know one one person wants to start a project and the other wants to play softball? What do they do? So with this group of children, and again, this is a hypothetical situation that they're given, but when they're describing what their understanding of the problem and what they're going to do, they're going to do things that tend to take on the focus of only one perspective, they're in one individual. So they're likely to say, well, we're going to go work on the project, right? right? And not take into consideration that the other child wants to play softball. Right. So that's a strategy that they would use, whereas maybe a typically developing child is more likely to at least come up with a solution for for this problem where both needs get met. Right. So with the children with epilepsy, they're only able to to focus on the needs of one individual, the perspective of one individual, what that one person wants. Um, right. And so, yeah, the, the focus will be on doing one project um, or even just walking away not doing anything right oh, okay it's yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and then identifying like this aspect of even just identifying the problem again they're more likely just to take on one perspective well you know um, Randy wants to work on this project but Tom won't right so yeah. that's that's really mm -hmm. one perspective right mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So that's so. So what? Like, so as an as a an adult here, how do we solve this problem? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, how would I solve this problem? I'm not quite sure, right? You take you take both perspectives, but uh, is there really a solution there, right? So so what is uh, what does it does is there a lot of difference between what a six year old uh, and a twelve year old uh, would would do in this situation, or is it fairly uniform across that age group? Because that seems like a pretty large age group to be looking at. It is, it is a large age group. So we look at, um, and there is a shift, right? Even you would say a shift around 10 years old that we see um, a shift in perspective taking. And then as adults, the idea is that, uh, this is really rooted in um, Robert Selman's work where as adults, they can take on the perspective of each other and how that a strategy is going to impact the relationship. Of, right. of the two individuals. So a strategy that might be used by an adult would be, well, they're going to talk about it and they're going to come up with a solution together that comes mm -hmm. up that, that makes both of them happy. And it might be to do the project first and then play softball, or it might be to play softball for a little while and then work on the project. But mm -hmm. whatever the strategy is that they're going to select, 
it's going to be about maintaining that relationship and the friendship because yeah. remember these kids are friends to begin with they just have different wants and needs right yeah so they're they're shifting from a you know a personal achievement a personal goals or outcomes to more relational outcomes uh, and that's the that's the optimal uh, perspective taking and social problem solving I guess Kathy at what age do we start to see divergent behaviors in children with epilepsy versus children who are otherwise nearly typical that's a good question too. It's something that I, yeah, yeah, I can't necessarily say. So we look or answer. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, right. There's the the problem is that yeah, there is such variability in age of onset, and we might see differences mm -hmm. in in those behaviors at age three, but we might not see mm -hmm. them until age eight. So there's a lot going on here. It's a really complex problem um, that's not easily answered. Yeah, I think that's a really good point too, Kathy, that you're bringing up here is that uh, the population that you're looking at, as you mentioned, the age of onset for epilepsy can really d impact a lot of uh, developmental uh, trajectories, right? So uh, with your populations, are you looking at specific uh, individuals that had similar onset of epilepsy? So right now, um, we collect the data for, mm -hmm. um, you know, seizure, for how often they have seizures, age of, age of first seizure. So age of onset um, yep. and age of diagnosis because they don't always match. So right. um, a, a child may have a seizure at say age one and not have another one until say age seven or eight. So don't get diagnosed until the second seizure. Right. They typically don't get diagnosed after one seizure. Um, so with that, um, we collect data that looks at both of those things, right? To see if that mm -hmm. also impacts things or changes the story. Um, yeah. Frequency of seizures, type of seizure, um, what each child, their seizures look different too, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So all that information is collected. Again, right now I'm working with a small sample, so I can't give you any answers yet, but mm -hmm. I hope to be able to go down, going to forward. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's really cool, too, to be able to, I mean, there's so much there, as you've been saying, and, and, and having to break it down into specific groups that you can tailor uh, different protocols for or, or you know, uh, and interventions for to help them with this, this social problem solving and this, this perspective taking is really important, right? So if, if you do have young children that had uh, their age of onset was quite young and they've had multiple seizures, are they going to be different? Uh, are they going to need different interventions for, you know, compared to children that were a little bit later on onset and had fewer uh, episodes. So that's really interesting. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you, what you guys come up with and what you guys find in, in, your, in your study. I imagine this is probably quite hard to get uh, a sample for this, is it not? It is. For, so I recruit from the community, so it is a challenge to get um, families to call up and, and you know, um, offer to participate in our study. Yeah. Um, there are, there are other studies that um, recruit in hospitals and whatnot. We don't have, mm -hmm. right at this point in time, we don't have a relationship with a particular children's hospital. Um, right. Maybe going forward, that's something that we can investigate and collaborate with, um, with a children's hospital or um, an epilepsy clinic. Um, yeah, absolutely. yeah, so it is a challenge and there's, there's so many questions that, that need to be addressed um, with this group. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, I can completely understand that knowing, you know, as you said, 15,000 cases of epilepsy are diagnosed each year, about 30% of those are, uh, 
children or, or younger younger children or adolescents, which means you know that's about five thousand new cases a year across Canada, right? Uh, and then you have to have, so that's only 5,000 each year, and you also have to have them in your area where you guys are doing the research so they can come into the lab, and they also have to consent, and their parents have to consent. There's just so many barriers. Uh, on top of, you know, the different type, uh, age of onset, uh, the, the amount of uh, epileptic seizures they have, all these other things are playing a part. So there's so many things that are um, making it hard for you guys to, to, to get that sample, but you guys are clearly doing something right <laughs> uh, by getting all these, uh, by getting the sample you have right now. Well, we're, we are working on it, and it is, it is a challenge. It always is a challenge working with clinical populations, right? Um, Absolutely. It, it, you have access to a smaller group of, of individuals, and like you said, it depends on the area that you're recruiting them from um, and whether or not people are willing to participate. And, and yeah. Um, yeah, it's certainly worth it, though. It is certainly oh, worth absolutely. it. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make a plug here on your behalf. If you're a listener of this program uh, and you work in a children's hospital and specifically in epilepsy or you know anybody who works in epilepsy at a children's hospital, get in touch with Kathy. We'll have all of her info, all of her contact info available on brainbuzzpodcast.com. Drop her a line there. Uh, let her know, hey, uh, your work sounds really great. We'd love to be a part of it. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see if we can drum up some business for you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. All right. Uh, Kathy, it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, to learn about your work and, and to hear about everything that you've done to this point. Uh, I know it's. I found it very fascinating. I'm sure Drake feels the same way, and I I cannot for one second doubt that our audience will feel that way as well. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, why don't we take a quick break? Uh, we'll. Um, listen to some tunes and we'll come back and uh, we'll hear about some misconceptions that you might have for us. Hi, this is Kathy Bailey. I'm a PhD candidate at Queen's and Trent University, and this is my episode on social perspective taking and language in children with epilepsy. And here are your hosts, Kyle and Drake. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kathy. Kathy, um, let's let's get right into it. Um, I know a lot of myths and misconceptions are out there surrounding uh, surrounding epilepsy, surrounding social perspective taking, surrounding language development. Do you have one or two that that are kind of your favorites that really stand out in your mind or or for that matter any other myths and misconception that you might want to chat about today um i guess one of the things with epilepsy i think a misconception may be that most people when we talk about epilepsy and children with epilepsy or adults even with epilepsy they typically have envision a seizure being like those full convulsions mm. um something that we've seen dramatized in in the media tv movies and whatnot, um, foaming at the mouth. And, and even though um, many of us know that that might not be, there might not be the foaming at the mouth, we still have that vision of, um, we envision these seizures being um, these convulsions, when in fact, seizures really do vary from individual to individual. Some individuals do, yes, they have convulsions. Um, some individuals just have absence seizures where they just kind of um, zone out briefly. And there may be some understanding that that kind of seizure exists. There are other seizures where um, 
we may the the individual may even be able to report that they're having a seizure, right? That they're they're seeing having some sort of visual um, phenomenon happening to them, or they may have uh, just a motor jerk, a simple motor tick, a mouth tick, um, may even be unusual outbursts of laughter or something like that. Um, seizures really are different from individual to individual, depending on where the seizure is coming from. Um, and, you know, what part of the brain is being affected by the seizure. So that's kind of a common misconception, I think, with epilepsy in general. It basically is bred out of the idea that, uh, I mean, not a lot of people are familiar with epilepsy or have been exposed to seizures, I imagine, right? Is that why you think that myth is kind of prevalent? I think it is, um, partly because, yeah, we're just not familiar with people and we're not, we don't necessarily know that an individual has epilepsy. There's still some stigma associated with epilepsy. Um, there's a lot of work that's going on, you know, that is trying, working towards reducing that stigma and increasing awareness of epilepsy. Um, but with that, yeah, we don't necessarily know an individual may have epilepsy and not tell people because of the yep. stigma, right? Um, so, and then what we do see is, is portrayals in, you know, movies and television. Absolutely. And so I have a question, actually, Kathy. I mean, my experience with epilepsy, and which is very, very minimal, is the idea that, uh, you know, those bright images and those quick flashes can cause or trigger an epileptic episode or a seizure. Uh, is that one of the main reasons why seizures occur? Or is there more common reasons or more frequent reasons that, that uh, can cause or trigger an episode? There are other, there are other triggers. Uh, with the flashing lights, that's not a trigger mm -hmm. for everyone with epilepsy. Some, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are a lot of individuals that that will have no impact on. Um, stress is a trigger for seizures, right? Um, just that that it, stress has is going to impact your brain, right? And the activity that's going on in your brain. Um, there are things like, you know, alcohol has been claimed to be a trigger, but I've also heard that it's, or read that it's not necessarily alcohol, but the dehydration that accompanies drinking too much alcohol. That right. is a trigger. Um, so, and each individual can have different triggers um, depending on uh, internal forces. Um, mm -hmm. With that, there doesn't always have to be a trigger, right? Or right. no known trigger, just somebody yeah. has a seizure. Absolutely. I think that's, that's cool. That's a, that's probably, well, that's me just kind of re, you know, reiterating this misconception that uh, it's mainly caused by these, these bright lights and flashing lights and things like that. Uh, maybe it's just kind of just me reaching and assuming that that was what most individuals with epilepsy have to deal with is that they can't see those things, but it's definitely not true. I'm glad you've, you've redirected us and, and corrected me on my, um, <laughs> my lack of knowledge on the area. <laughs> talking about absolute epilepsy and talking about, you know, people's inexperience with seizures. For me, I've never actually, uh, to my knowledge, been exposed to someone having a seizure in front of me. What should someone do when someone's having an ep epileptic seizure? What, is, what are the best things that someone can do as someone around uh, that's the bystander at that time? That's a good question. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you um, kind of just a brief summary of what you could do is making sure that the individual is safe. Um, so making sure that um, there is nothing that they can harm themselves on. Uh, so it, if they are standing, right? Because an individual can be standing and have a seizure, right? Making sure that they sit down, um, removing anything that that is in their area that could 
um, cause physical harm if they were to say they did have a convulsion, right, and hit, um, then reassuring the individual is an important aspect of it, right? Just, I'm here to help you. Um, that reassurance is important. And if the seizure is ongoing for more than five minutes, and especially if it's an individual that you don't know, um, you should probably call 911. That's, uh, that's really helpful information, Kathy, but uh, another misconception kind of been posed is that you should, you know, hold them down or, you know, put something in someone's mouth so they don't bite their jaw or teeth. Uh, it's bite that's, their tongue, but yeah. bite, their, bite their tongue, sorry, bite their tongue or like do damage to their jaw. Is, that's not something you should be doing. No, you should right? never, you should never put yeah. something in the individual's mouth. Um, and yeah, and never restrain the individual. That's not going to to help um, them with the seizure. And it's Absolutely. going to actually put them more at risk of harm than anything. Yeah, and I, I don't know where that misconception has come from or where it kind of was bred from, but uh, yeah, no, I've definitely seen that and heard that in, in popular media that you should do that. And then there's this strong wave of people saying, no, you should actually not do that, which is good. I'm mm -hmm. glad people have been starting to correct in the, in the last decade or so. Uh, when it comes to uh, what to do with someone seizing. Mm -hmm. You know what, it is, a mis it is a misconception about what to do. Um, and I don't know where that originated from either. Um, it's just, and I didn't even think to address it because mm -hmm. I, yeah, because it's so not what you would do. Um, <laughs> it's, it's definitely not what you should do. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting though that that's what we, that's what we think. And it's probably comes from, um, maybe even middle-aged times where yeah, they, could would, very well have been. they yeah. would treat some, a seizure like that, right? Yeah, I'm, I, could, I could easily see, I mean, it, to me it makes sense that it would be some older time where they're like, this is wrong, this is not something that they should be doing, so maybe we should try and control their body, you know, mm -hmm. and like try and stop them from moving, right? Uh, which is super uh, counter to what's actually beneficial for the individual that's seizing, but mm -hmm. I could see that as kind of maybe being the reason why people believe that mm -hmm. uh, or still carry that kind of, a misconception around uh, today. I mean, it's also just the lack of experience and not knowing what to do in those situations as mm -hmm. well. And I think, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that it's possible too that you know there was this belief that they, we had to make sure that they didn't they didn't harm themselves, or and that maybe it was a way to keep the air pathways clear. You know, so yeah. um, I'm sure intention was, or I hope intention was good. <laughs> yeah, you can only hope. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, those are a lot of misconceptions about this. And I think it's really interesting. It, it often comes with uh, areas that are uh, less talked about or less uh, common knowledge. I find there's always these misconceptions that kind of get bred uh, from just not knowing enough about the area. Exactly. Yeah, certainly. Great. Uh, well, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we've had just a delightful time learning about your research, um, learning everything there is to know about uh, how epilepsy affects uh, social perspective taking and um, language development in children. So again, just thank you for sharing that with us. We've it's been very informative. Well, thank you for having me. I I had a great time. I'm great. glad. <laughs> yeah, we're glad. I learned a lot about epilepsy and and uh, and development, and uh, maybe I'll be better problem solver going forward now that I've talked to you. <laughs> All right, with that, we'll call it yet another episode of Brain Buzz. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and joining us. If you've enjoyed the episode, you can find out uh, how to get in touch with Kathy at brainbuzzpodcast.com, where we've got a bio with her info there, uh, as well as info on any and all of our past and previous guests and friends of the show. 
you can also, if you enjoyed, leave us a star, leave us a review. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. So if you've enjoyed something, if you thought something could be a little bit better, let us know. Kathy, is there anybody that you'd like to thank or anything that you'd like to let our audience know while you've got the floor? I'd just like to thank the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. They're the ones that fund my research um, with a doctorate research scholarship. So Great. A well-awarded funding operation they've got going on there. <laughs> a good choice is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Uh, until next time, cheers. Yeah. Cheers. cheers.